as we enter into this Christmas season, this Advent season, next week we'll finish our time here in, in the book of Ruth together in chapter 4, and then we will have uh, several weeks of a sermon series on Advent, and so looking forward to that. Uh, but once again this morning, we find ourselves in uh, Ruth chapter 3. And as we have walked through the first two chapters together of Ruth, we come here to the third chapter, the final chapter, chapter four is before us next week. We have started to see more clearly one of the central themes of the book of Ruth, which is the theme of redemption. We were really able to unpack that a little more last week in the latter part of chapter 2, and we'll continue to do that here in these last two chapters, this theme of redemption. And as we read through the story of Ruth, we begin to have a greater grasp of uh, the redeeming work of God for his people, people from every tribe and tongue throughout every generation that he is drawing a people to himself for himself for his own glory and so we find ourselves overwhelmed by the goodness of his abundant grace to us we find ourselves humbled under his steadfastness his faithfulness to us as the redeemed but something else we find here in the pages of Ruth and in light of redemption is how we live as the redeemed in light of the redemption that we have through the blood of Christ. If you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb this morning, your life will not be the same as it was before. You will be changed. And here in chapter 3, we most certainly see this outflowing of redemption in the life of these two main characters that we've come to know, Boaz and Ruth. We see here that those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb will live unashamedly before God and man in this world. If you would continue the story with me here in chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Right away, here in the story, at the beginning of chapter 3, we see a shift in Naomi. We see a shift from where early in the story she is primarily focusing on herself to now she turns her attention to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And this is very much a sign of the transformation that we saw unfold before us at the end of chapter 2 where Naomi repents of her sin and recognizes the steadfast love of God. And so here, for the first time in the story, she turns her attention from herself to her daughter-in-law and the plight that she finds herself in. 
as we've mentioned before in this study of Ruth, the remedy for bitterness, which is the state that Naomi found herself in, is first and foremost setting our minds on who God is and what he has done. But we also see here that we need to understand who we are in light of this sovereign God. Self-centeredness always results in bitterness and pride and fear and depression and doubt. Whereas focusing on God and who he is and repenting of our sin and turning away from our sinful, prideful self will always turn our attention away from ourselves toward others. That's what we see happening here in Naomi's life. The the bitterness is melting away as she rests under the steadfast hand of God and she turns her attention outwardly to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And her concern for her here in these first few verses of chapter 3 is a concern that has really echoed throughout the pages of Ruth. If you remember back in chapter 1, when Naomi encouraged both Ruth and Orpah to return to Moab, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they needed a husband. In fact, if you look at chapter 1, verse 9, Naomi's prayer for them is that the Lord, Yahweh, grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And so if we consider the very last words of chapter 2, there in verse 23, she lived with her mother-in-law, we realize, as Naomi does, that this cannot be how they go on together in their relationship. Ruth needs a husband. This would have been a far easier proposition for Ruth had she returned to Moab like Orpah did. Potentially, and we don't know this, Orpah's already found a husband. But Ruth finds herself here in Israel, in Bethlehem, this Moabite foreign woman. And surely, no one in all of Bethlehem and all of Israel would consider marrying a Moabite woman. You remember early on we talked about the Moabites, especially the, how the women of, of Moab represented this type of seductive nature that led the men of Israel astray to follow after their gods, to follow after their customs. Consider too how Moab came to be. This tribe came as the descendants of Lot and the immoral relationship that he had with his daughter. And so Moabite women especially those who are residing in Bethlehem, did not have a positive image. Who would marry Ruth? The prospect is not good. But enter Boaz, this one who's introduced to us at the beginning of chapter 2 as a worthy man. And we've seen his kindness and his compassion that has been poured out on this foreign woman. Not only is he a worthy man, not only is he kind, not only is he compassionate, but he is a near relative to Naomi. And so in Naomi's mind, if there's anybody in all of Israel who's going to marry Ruth, Boaz must be the one. And we as the readers have been aware of this since chapter 2 when Boaz is introduced to us there in verse 1. We know where the story is going. And so Naomi comes to this realization, Boaz must be the one, but there is one glaring issue 
that stands in front of them. How does a woman in Israel in this day go about proposing to a man, not just a woman, but a Moabite woman? For whatever reason, as we've felt the tension of this relationship between Ruth and Boaz throughout chapter 2, Boaz at this point has not taken any initiative to marry Ruth. And we've felt the tension in this relationship, and yet we come to verse 23 of chapter 2, and the, the barley harvest is over, and nothing has happened in regards to this relationship. So Naomi has a plan. You see it there primarily in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3. She says, Wash therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She says to Ruth, after the day is done and Boaz goes and he lays with his harvest to to guard it and protect it through the, the night. After you've cleaned yourself up, go and lay with him. And essentially she says to her, just see what happens. And so we say to ourselves at this point, and rightfully so, what are Naomi's motives in this plan? It's, it's quite ambiguous. It's not clear what, what her motives are. Does she want Ruth to seduce Boaz there at the threshing floor? Well, to be completely clear, the text is quite unclear about this. We don't know what the intentions of Naomi are. In fact, theologians and scholars aren't really sure exactly how to take what we see here. I do think, though... That in Naomi's motives that she's not looking to have Ruth seduce Boaz. Rather, she's simply trying to make the most out of the situation that they find themselves in. Ruth has one last chance to make something happen before they move into the rest of the year outside of this season of harvest. And so in Naomi's minds, the phrase comes to mind as we think of, desperate times call for desperate measures. And don't miss this. This is a very dangerous proposition that Naomi has here. We think back to chapter 2 where Ruth says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean. And we talked about the, the dangers that, that that would mean for Ruth and her well-being. And then Naomi, at this request, says, go, my daughter. Here, Naomi presents something far more dangerous to her daughter-in-law to go in the middle of the night and lay at the feet of a man. Far more dangerous. And what is Ruth's response? Well, there at the end of verse 5, she says, all that you say I will do. In a moment here, in the, in the next few verses we're about to come to, we will see that Ruth ignores part of the plan and brings some clarity on the situation here. That this is not a plan to seduce, but this is a desperate plea. If it doesn't happen now, Ruth, when will it happen? And so Ruth agrees to the plan, but only to a point. We pick up the story there in verse 6. It says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. 
Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now, it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. The end of the day comes. Ruth goes just as Naomi said. She lays down at the feet of Boaz. And he notices her in the middle of the night. But it's, it's not something that Ruth has revealed him, herself to him. He's startled by it. You see there in verse 8 at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet again. I think affirming that the plan here is not to seduce Boaz. There's something else happening here. His, his question that he asked her there is, is quite appropriate. Who are you? Dark out there. There's a woman laying at my feet. What is happening here? And Ruth responds. And her response there in the, at the end of, of verse 9 shows us uh, the, the point in the story where she averts from Naomi's plan. Where Naomi's plan is a little bit ambiguous to us. Here in what Ruth says, she is clear. Her intentions are not ambiguous. They are not unclear. She is clear about her intentions. What does she say to him? I am Ruth, your servant. Spread out your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She clearly wants Boaz to marry her as her kinsman redeemer. She makes this quite clear to him. Now, something we need to note here about this request at this point in the story is something that we highlighted last week, the idea of the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. So the kinsman redeemer is fulfilling two types of roles. You have the one where they are buying someone out of debt or buying someone out of slavery, but then you have the other one that comes to mind here of the brother who passes away and his brother is to marry his widow and to bring her in. But there's one glaring problem for us here. Boaz is clearly not the brother of Ruth's husband. He's not even the brother of Naomi's husband. So this is really important here. Boaz has no legal obligation to fulfill this request that Ruth has made before him. He is simply a close Relative, And so when Ruth makes this request, she wants him to act in the spirit of the law. Boaz being a worthy man, if he was truly that kinsman redeemer, Ruth could have just shown up in the marketplace and said to him, Hey buddy, you're the guy, marry me. But she doesn't do that here because he is not that close of a relative. And so he has to pay the price of bringing this woman into his household as his wife, even though he was not legally obligated to. As you can imagine, this is very countercultural for a woman to propose in such a way. I'm a little old-fashioned. I still think in our day we, it's the man's job to propose to the woman. This would have especially been true in this day, and yet Ruth comes and we see the boldness and the courage of Ruth once again, and she makes her intentions clear. She risks everything to not only obey Naomi, but to obey the Lord. 
shockingly, Boaz agrees. There's little hesitation here. And we need to understand the profoundness of this agreement that Boaz is making. Not only must he bear the financial cost, but he also must bear the social cost. What will people think in Bethlehem of Boaz if he marries a Moabite woman? But just as Boaz is introduced to us in chapter 2, verse 1, as a worthy man, Boaz recognizes something in Ruth that others in town have recognized as well. And he, he says it of her there in verse 11. Ruth is a worthy woman. She hasn't sought out a younger man to marry. She seeks the man she trusts will do the right thing, but also that the Lord has provided her in his providence. Ruth is a worthy, noble woman who fears the Lord. Just an interesting side note here. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Proverbs comes before the book of Ruth. And if you know the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, what is the very last part of Proverbs 31 about? It's about the noble woman, the worthy woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. And then right away it comes into the story of Ruth. Ruth is very much that Proverbs 31 woman. She has built a, relation, a, a reputation in Bethlehem of not just submitting to Naomi, and not just giving of herself sacrificially to care for her mother-in-law, but mostly she has built this reputation by submitting to God's laws. She has made the God of Israel her God. But again, there's a complication in the story. The complication is that Boaz recognizes that he is not the closest redeemer. There is one who is nearer to them who would be the one to redeem Ruth in this way, someone who had a better claim to this marriage. But again, Boaz being a man of character, a worthy man, says there in verse 13 that he is going to take care of this. He says there in verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. When he uses the words there, uh, not willing. This speaks to the high privilege that Boaz saw in this situation. This isn't a situation where someone comes to you and says, hey, can you do this for me? And you're not really interested. So you're like, hey, come back tomorrow. And you really don't have any interest in fulfilling the promise the next day. No, Boaz is all in. He is ready and eager and willing to do this agreement to, to redeem Ruth in this way. But he wants to do it the right way. Either way, he assures her that she and her mother-in-law will be taken care of. We've come to the end of chapter 3 there in verse 14. It says, So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest 
but we'll settle this matter today. So before the light of the morning comes to not tarnish her reputation, he sends her away with what the text tells us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, six measures of barley. Think to ourselves, that's a very interesting detail for the writer to tell us here. Why is that important? Well, several things. First of all, you need to understand that six measures of barley, this amount of seed, is around 80 pounds. And so Ruth puts this on her back and goes back into town carrying 80 pounds on her back. Not only do we come to learn that Ruth is, is, is a strong woman in her, in her, uh, uh, her personality and, her, and in her confidence, but she is also a physically strong woman. She is quite the woman. She's been working in the fields all through the harvest. She carries back this 80 pounds on her back. But there's something else that we need to notice here that, that the reformers and others throughout church history have noticed. And that's the symbol of the seed, that he gives her this seed to carry back with her. Notice the number of measures of barley. It is six. And throughout Hebrew writing, throughout the whole Testament, the number six represents an incompleteness. The number seven represents something that is complete, but here the seed represents something that is incomplete. Don't miss this. She leaves Boaz with the confidence that she will be redeemed, either by him or this other. She's had her physical needs met. She has the prospect of a husband on the horizon, but there's still something greater that she desperately needs, and that is a seed. She needs an heir, but not just the child that will come from her womb. She needs a better seed. The seed that was promised in the garden to Eve that will come from her womb. Next week we'll see at the end of chapter 4 that Ruth is the great-great-great-grandmother of David, who is the father of Christ, the Messiah. There's this anticipation of a better seed who is to come, But chapter 3, interestingly, ends very similarly to how chapter 2 ends. She comes back into town to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She returns home. And notice here what Naomi says to Ruth before when she returns in chapter 2. She's in shock. She says, where have you gleaned today? Who did you work for? But here, she says in verse 16, how did you fare, my daughter? Now, I'm, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV, and unfortunately, this is not a good representation of what the original language is communicating there. She doesn't ask her, how did you fare, my daughter? She asks her the same exact question that Boaz asked of her in verse 9, who are you, my daughter? This is a far better translation, and this Seems strange to us. Why would she ask, who is this? Who are you, my daughter? She knows full well who Ruth is. Again, the same question that Boaz asked earlier at the threshing floor. We need to understand something here about this question. Who are you? She presents to Ruth. This is the same question that Naomi has wrestled with since chapter 1. Who is this insistent woman who the Lord has placed with me? 
There, when she tells her and Orpah to return back to Moab, Ruth is insistent that she goes. And we hear the, 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 the hesitancy in Naomi's voice to allow her to come. She hasn't even mentioned Ruth early on in the encounter that she has there in Bethlehem. All along through the story, she has questioned, Who is this woman, Lord, and why have you brought her into my life? Lord, what are you doing in my life to bring this sort of tag along with me? Here again, she finds herself asking this question, who are you? Why has the Lord brought you into my life? If you look there at verse 17, what Ruth says in regards to Boaz and what he had said to her, he said to her, you must not go back empty Handed. Do you remember how Naomi described herself when she returned to Bethlehem? She described herself as what? As empty. And we begin to see here more clearly who Ruth is. The Lord is providing for Naomi through Ruth to bring her from a state of emptiness to a state of fullness. From a state of bitterness to a state of joy. And this is not just a temporal problem that Naomi faces and that Ruth is remedying, it is an eternal one. Naomi needs a better redeemer than Boaz, and this redeemer will most certainly come in and through Ruth. We'll see this unfold before us when we come to chapter 4 next week. But here chapter 3 ends with the same level of suspense that it began with. Verse 18, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so we're told at the end of chapter 3 to wait till later. The anticipation of chapter 4 that we've sensed since the beginning of chapter 1 is right before us. But again, this morning, we must wait to see this story come to its completion. But as we continue to see more clearly the Lord working out his plan of redemption in the life of Ruth, the life of Naomi, and the life of all of his people throughout all generations, we have to ask ourselves as we come to the end of this text today, what what do we do with chapter 3? How can we apply this to our lives this morning? Well, two things. First, I want you to consider this morning, what are you willing to risk? For the sake of the gospel. What are you really willing to risk so that Christ's name might be exalted in your life, in this city, and to the ends of the earth? We will risk a lot in this life so that we can have health and a good reputation and to be comfortable. But what are you willing to risk this morning for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to sacrifice your health? Are you willing to sacrifice your reputation so that some might hear of the hope of this Redeemer we speak of? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort? Are you willing to sacrifice your very life to proclaim the greatness of this Redeemer who has conquered sin and death? I think for most of us, if we were to answer this question honestly this morning, the answer to the question comes in our lack of desire 
and our lack of urgency to share the gospel with the lost. Because if you're honest this morning, there are times throughout any given week, any given day, where sharing your faith and trust in Jesus and walking in obedience to him in this world might cost you a friendship. It might cost you a relationship around the Thanksgiving table. It might cost you your reputation. It might even cost you your career. People might think you are strange for being a follower of Jesus. And for some of us, that's a risk that we are not willing to take. Proving that we love our reputation and our careers and our perception more than we love to herald the good news of the gospel. I think of some of the first missionaries that left this country to go to Africa. And the possessions that they took with them, they did not pack in luggage. Do you know what they packed in? Coffins. Because they knew that they were going there to die. And within months of them being there, they would most certainly die from malaria. But they went, they sacrificed their their lives, they sacrificed their health, they sacrificed their comfort so that some might hear the hope of redemption. That there is a God in heaven who has paid the price to pull people out of the bondage of sin and death and give them eternal life. So dear friend, who might you reach with the gospel today if you would just set aside your comfort and your reputation and your very life? Who might you reach with the gospel? It's been interesting over the last several weeks, the Lord has began to do something in me where I have had this urgency to pray for our church that God would raise up missionaries from within our church. Maybe this morning the Lord is stirring up in you and in your family a desire to go to the ends of the earth, to those who have yet to hear. Would you heed the call this morning? Trust me. I know from firsthand experience it will cost you your health. It will cost you your comfort. And it most certainly will cost you your life. But dear friend, it is worth it. It is worth it to herald the name of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world no matter the cost. Will we be found faithful? But secondly and finally here in application, I want us to see here in chapter 3 the love of God for his people. And the great lengths that he will go to to save a people for himself and demonstrate his love for his people. And the fact in his goodness he has made it known to us this story of redemption, this crucial chain to the lineage of Messiah. We see in chapter 3 the love of God for us. Don't miss it. This is a love story, the book of Ruth is. It's not the love story that you might think it is. It's, this is not a love story between Ruth and Boaz. The relationship between Ruth and Boaz is not a romantic one. They are coming together out of obligation, out of the providence of the Lord. Here you have this foreign woman who we find out in chapter 3 is really muscular and really determined, and this old wealthy man coming together in this strange providential circumstance. This is not a romantic story between Ruth and Boaz, but this is a love story. It's a love story of a God who loves a people so much that he will give everything 
to save them and redeem them to himself. It is the love story of God for his people who loved us to the point that he would send his only son in the form of a man to live on this earth and be despised and rejected. And he would not have a place to lay his head and he would go and die a cruel death on a cross for the very people who despised and rejected him. This is the love of God that is on display before us. Throughout the pages of scripture, this story of redemption. And today we rejoice in the fact that Redeemer has come and he has conquered the grave once and for all. Jesus didn't just risk his life for us. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And so the call this morning, the application this morning is to give yourself over to this God Cast yourself under the weight of his grace. He will redeem you. When you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believe in him that he has come and lived a sinless life and died on a cross in your place and rose from the grave victoriously, you will find the redemption that Ruth speaks of. And he will cover you under his wings as a refuge throughout all of eternity. And he will give you a righteousness that is not your own, but it is the righteousness of Christ. No matter how far off you may seem from God today, because of his love for you that was demonstrated at the cross, you can rest assured of this. He will take you as his own. Believe in him today. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray.